Yeah, so we're going to talk about the continental free trade uh, agreement, and I will make it simple and straightforward as much as possible. I know there are SMEs here. So what exactly is the AFCFTA? And if I say CFTA and AFCFTA, I'm just referring to the same thing. Now, sometime in 1963, the Ghana's president at that time at the AU actually proposed this way back in 63. The interesting thing is, in Miami, when the CFTA was launched, uh, I had the privilege of uh, launching the private sector agenda. And just before the presentation, I went back to play Kwame Nkrumah's speech. And it was interesting that he said, among the cities he said we should gather to launch the CFTA was Miami. And here we were in Miami, launching the CFTA on 8 July. Some things are meant to happen for a moment in time. Ghana is very much associated with the CFTA. And incidentally, past president has actually moved the motion in 2011. So if we can take advantage of it, nobody can. But will we? That's the question I'm seeking to answer. So the CFTA is referring to a simple one continental market for everybody for goods and services. And remember, it includes services, not only goods. It includes services. We haven't come to the services part yet, but it includes services. Ultimately, it is hoped that there will be a continental customs union and it is supposed to facilitate free movement of goods and persons. And then it is part of Agenda 2063. 2063 was selected as the year because it celebrates the 100th anniversary of when it was moved. So, I mean, the whole, the whole idea was mooted. So that's where we are. Now, let's take a quick look back. Before, now, and the future. Now, so many years ago, Africa had no borders at all. We moved freely. There was nothing like border. You didn't need a visa to go anywhere. Uh, whatever, for want of a better word, the white man has written about wars, tribal wars, etc. So be it, but there were no borders. And therefore, you could move across. Interestingly, when we then became more civilized, we created the borders. and needed a visa to move from one country to the other. And there are 54, 55 countries, depending on who is counting that we now have. And then we introduced borders. So if you look at the middle map, you realize that we have these 54 countries, each of whom is requiring a visa and restricting the movement of goods and people between each other. Incidentally, the innate desire for us to trade among ourselves have always been there. So you see that we have created ECOWAS, ECA, SADIC, OMOA. So there are about 12 to 15 regional blocks, each trying to remove the barrier. It's very clear from the middle map what our leaders have done at the AU starting from March 21st in Kigali 2018 and then finally launching in, on April, in April, uh, July 7th in Miami is that we actually want to go here. We just want to have one continent without borders. And this is very significant to everybody in this room. And I'm talking about the businessmen and the SMEs. So this is the future that we are looking at. 2063 AFCFTA. That is private sector concerned or affected, and the impact, let's see what it is. It creates massive potential opportunities, and I say potential opportunities, because opportunities are yet to be tapped by the private sector. Massive. Will it change anything? Yes, quite a lot. First, it's a larger market, because suddenly you move from 30 million people in Ghana to 1.3 billion people in Africa. That's what we are talking about. So if you make clothes and there is school uniform in Zambia, in Nigeria, etc., that is the market that we are talking about. You can employ not 1,500 people, but 5,000 people or more. 
that's the kind of thing we are talking about. As to whether you can tap into it or, or, or not, I'll touch on it shortly. So I'm relating to the private sector and not from the public sector angle. It eases doing business with each other because you have been able to move goods and services across the borders tariff-free, essentially. That's all that it means. So it makes it easy to do business. It encourages value addition because if the, you are able to trade the goods, it will depend on the rules of origin. And I'll talk about the rules of origin shortly, which means that the goods have to have some, some indicators that show that they were actually manufactured in an African country, which has ratified the treaty. So again, it will lead to people adding value instead of importing completely assembled goods from <clears throat> elsewhere. It will reduce restrictions, free movement I've talked about, to integrate Africa, and it will lead to certain flagship projects, which itself will create other business opportunities. So what are some of these flagship projects which are <clears throat> expected to uh, come as a result of the CFTA? Now, you cannot move goods and services if people can, are not connected or if you don't have transportation, as an example. So if you look at the AU itself, there are certain flagship projects they have indicated. Some of those flagship projects fall under what is called the PIDA. Some have been studied, some are ongoing, and some have already been identified by prospective investors. One of the organizations that uh, uh, Bernard mentioned, which uh, I've been to serve on, that's an NGO, so I, I work on, on, on them on a pro bono basis, assisting the AU to ensure this happens from the private sector perspective. It's pushing for some of these enablers. So you find that it is important to have connectivity. What is it if you don't have transportation network? So you find that part of the enabler projects includes, for example, Cape Town to Cairo Highway, Djibouti to Senegal Railway, etc. And this will create opportunities for the private sector because private sector people have to develop part of the things that relates to the ports, contractors will get businesses, people will be able to move goods, etc. I'm talking at a high level at this. I'll come down uh, shortly regarding the opportunities we get. Power. Again, Michael's presentation this morning emphasized it, and I think Mr. Ojiji also emphasized it. We cannot be competitive as a continent, and I'm talking about the continent, I'll come to Ghana shortly. Uh, we cannot be competitive as a continent if we are buying power at the level we are buying it. Now, if you bring it to Ghana, industry has, we have had an improvement, notwithstanding the tariff increase because of the <coughs> capacity charge adjustment which was made by the current government. Technically, industry now have power cheaper than it used to be. But it's still about 15 or 14 cents per kilowatt hour. To be competitive, you are talking of about between four, maximum seven cents. And if you are in the kind of industry where power alone is about 30% of your production capacity, 15 cents doesn't help you in any way. So you will find that as a result of the CFT, there's a new attention to a, a, a project in Congo called the Grand Inga. That alone is enough to actually change the power story in Africa because it generates 110,000 megawatts of power if it is done. That's the kind of project that we are talking about. And the influence of that project is to actually do a transmission across the continent that brings power down. By the way, that project was proposed in 1963 in that speech as well. So it's actually almost 100 years late. That's what we are talking about. But currently, it's at Grand, uh, in Gathari, and it is hoped that they will finally get to Inganai. And as a result of this simple act of the CFTA, a lot of things are happening relating to the Inga as well. Then you come to the situation of value addition, factories, etc. The most important thing for me, especially when it comes to SMEs, is removal of non-tariff barriers. Because at the moment, nothing prevents you based on ETLS to ship your goods to Nigeria. But you will meet 13 borders before you get to Badagri border. 
and you have somebody wearing a cap who will tell you that, Oga, settle yourself. And if you have to settle yourself, it adds to the cost of the business. So the removal of the non-tariff barriers, both within and within countries, because even within Ghana, we do, we do have non-tariff barriers, as well as non-tariff barriers across the borders. It's a significant part that the AU has recognized based on private sector push to ensure that we attain the objectives. So you find that in this summary, I talk briefly about the enablers, but as a result of the enablers, opportunities have been identified, a lot of which fall within the ambit of SMEs. Feeding the people is one of them. <clears throat> An African Development Bank has a lot of funding available for this. So feeding the people relates to agro-processing and all those issues based upon which you can tap into funding to actually create products which is exported across the continent for 1.3 billion people if the CFTA begins, becomes operational in January next year and actual trading starts July next year, if my, if my, my uh, uh, days are correct on that. Clothing the people. And again, going back to Mama J, it's massive. That Af African wear is now becoming such a big fashion that if you can tap into this, the market is several times what it used to be. Housing the people, because Africa has a lot of mega cities growing. Lagos alone is the size of, actually, the population of Lagos is almost the size of the entire of Ghana. Lagos has 25 million people. Ghana has 27.9 million people. Housing and the housing shortage in Accra alone is something that, and again, this morning, I think Michael mentioned uh, some of those things. So all these are potential projects which are likely to result depending on where you are positioning yourself. All right, let's move on. As a result, it is expected, and this is a, a proposal, a, 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 an estimation by Afro-Champions, and this is what we, pretend, we presented to the heads of states in Miami, that about $1 trillion is likely to be spent by the private sector between now and 2030. That's just the first phase only. And this, actually, is conservative estimates, and is backed by data. Your ability to tap into this is what is essential. I've talked about all the nice things regarding the CFTA, the potential, etc. But every solution in life is a problem. If you've not heard that yet, I want you to think about it again. Because the general thing the inspirational speakers tell us is that every, every challenge is an opportunity. That's true. I don't doubt that. But every solution creates a problem. That's also true. No matter the solution you create, there will be a problem. Your ability to overcome that problem and balance it determines your survival. So are there problems or threats in this EFTA? Yes. An integrated Africa simply means they are open access to markets, including your market. So if Mamajie, for example, is employing 1,500 people and producing school uniform, and assuming school uniforms become part of the things we add to the CFTA basket of goods, is the 90% tariff free, then somebody in Kenya can sell the school uniform to the government of Ghana. Because you cannot sit in Ghana and say that you want to produce, for example, Kelewele and sell it, but the person cannot sell school uniform here. That, that's very important that we have to understand that we have a bigger market to, I mean, to access, but that bigger market is equally assessing us. So the ability to become competitive is what is very critical, and this is what I want private sector to pay attention to. We are open to cheaper goods from more competitive producers. The more competitive they are, the cheaper the goods can be. And then we have free movement. Remember, there is already a push for African passports. A couple of people have the African passports already. In Ghana, uh, uh, Rwanda, and a few other countries, you don't need a visa if you're an African to come here anymore. You think, what happened? 
Yeah. You just take your bag and you get to the airport and pick the visa from there. It's going to be even more open after the CFTA. So nothing prevents the person who is manufacturing, again, I want to use Mamajeski, who is manufacturing school uniform, to come and build her factory next to yours in Kumasi and start producing school uniform. And nothing prevents you from doing yours in Nairobi if you choose to. That's the kind of market that we are talking about. All right? So it depends on whether it becomes an opportunity to you or a threat to you. But there's a key issue that I think the private sector must grasp. And that there was a gentleman who asked a question about whether or not uh, this is a theory, etc. This is not theory. Let's face the reality. Ghanaians have that problem. We talk a lot until it hits us. This is reality. This is happening. It's not something which is going to happen. It is happening. There's a taxi driver story somebody told me that he sat in a taxi at the time that uh, the president came back from Naomi and was talking about the CFTA. And the taxi driver said, Matisan and Nakofa CFTA be back. And then he said, Yes. And what is it? And the, the man explained to him, He said, Wait, make connection. He, he just thought it's some connection. This is not a connection thing. This, you have to work for it yourself. The two issues that the private sector must grasp here may look like, but it is the truth. Opportunity favors only the prepared. It's as simple as that. You can say it's theory, but that is the truth about life. Opportunity favors only the prepared. The other thing is that threats have a lesser impact on the prepared than it has on the unprepared. So much as the prepared can take the opportunity, the adverse impact of it will affect those who are prepared less than it will affect those who are not prepared. So the unprepared, some of them will actually fold up. I, don't, I won't mean worse about it. That's the fact of life. But you have enough time to be prepared. So let us look at who is already prepared to take advantage. And I'm looking at it from the Brooklyn Institutes of the competitive countries in Africa, which are among the top 100 worldwide. Unfortunately, Ghana is not part of it. And this morning, I think Michael presented, uh, uh, did a presentation about competitiveness. Based on the index of the Brooklyn Institute, as well as the World Economic Forum, we are not one of the competitive countries. I know that Honorable uh, Hongalinsi is working on that. Hopefully, we've actually improved a lot in doing, on doing business. But competitiveness is a different question. And that's a... That's something serious we need to tackle. So you have the likes of Mauritius, South Africa, Seychelles, Seychelles, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, Botswana, Algeria, Kenya, Egypt, and Namibia, actually, who are more competitive than we are. If you take the current indices. Now, the worst thing about this is that if you are not competitive in a $30 million market, a $30 million population market, you will not be competitive in a $1.3 billion I mean, people market. All right. Now, who is best suited or has, is best prepared to withstand the threat? Because there are some who are already best. And how do I measure that? I measure that by the countries who, by their very culture and systems, have created a lot of business-to-business -business arrangement. So businesses within the country buy from people within the business. That's very important. I don't know if Mr. Tinkesi is still here. Okay, he's not, but I do know a bit about his company, and I do know that there are times that people who have, he has products that people can buy from him for, as input, they nevertheless buy it from outside Ghana, even though his is cheaper. And I know this from several other, I mean, uh, 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 organizations. So there are some people who actually close their eyes 
pass Mamaji and buy the school uniform from China. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. At times, it's just simple culture and simple jealousies, nothing more. Or at times, it's politics. A number of things contribute to that. But if you take the countries, Nigeria, Egypt, Kenya, Senegal, and South Africa, they have a lot of business-to-business arrangements where they buy from each other. So the local value chain is very strong. In other words, what it means is that you can be Mamaji and go and set up in Nigeria. They will not buy from you. They have not decided that you will set up there because it's AFTA. You will set up. But you can't sell because the value chain doesn't recognize you. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. That's a joke anyway. All right. So in terms of people who are prepared to withstand the threat, we are not one of them either. So we are not prepared to take the opportunity, and we are not prepared to withstand the threat. Sad, but true, and I don't mean worse. It doesn't mean we are not working on it. I know the minister is working on it. Which countries are already prepared, have already prepared their private sector or are vigorously preparing them to take advantage. We are not on that list either. That is Tunisia, Malawi, Nigeria, Morocco, South Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, Mauritius, Egypt, and Algeria. Now, this is referring to countries who have held various in-depth workshops with private sector, taking sector by sector, selected their competitive advantages. Ghana held this session recently and a series of... Uh, uh, Workshops were held, in, but they are supposed to be follow-ups. But these people have done like four or five. On that day, I happened to have chaired one of the sessions, and I think Mr. Ankalinze uh, uh, made a comment together with Alan, where I made a controversial statement, and I know my friend Anonsebunzi doesn't agree with me, that I blame the private sector, not the public sector. And I will explain. I will explain that. So if you ha- happen to be here, I'm not a politician. I don't defend the public sector, but I blame the private sector for that situation. I will explain shortly. And I made that statement, and I'm repeating it. I know Nana and I will quarrel over that. So uh, Nana was able to have given you truly the... All right. <clears throat> Does Ghana have any advantage? Yes, the secretariat will be here. That's why I showed Nana Kufuado's picture at the beginning. Good. He's fought. He's brought it. So far as I'm concerned, his business is ended. If the private sector cannot take it from there, I don't pity the private sector. It doesn't mean that he has no role to play. No. And again, I was, I'm explaining that I'll explain why the private sector is the one who has to be responsible for this. A few years ago, I got the privilege of being invited to serve on a committee of Nigeria's Competitiveness Council. And I happened to be the only non-Nigerian member on it. What happened? I was invited because I did a presentation at a business forum like this, sponsored by the World Economic Forum in Nigeria. This was 2011. And I spoke on a strange topic which shocked everybody. It was on Nigeria, the disadvantage of advantage. And I showed them why Nigeria's advantages is the reason why it cannot grow. Because advantages often tend to be a disadvantage if you cannot understand how the psyche is in order to take advantage of that. Ghana actually suffers from that. But we suffer from it from a slightly different angle. We just don't suffer from the disadvantage of advantage. No. We suffer from consistently losing the advantage that we have and the lead that we take. And I will explain that shortly. So, yes, the secretariat will be here. But the euphoria about the secretariat location will be overtaken shortly when we realize that we have not been able to take advantage as private sector. And it will turn like Brussels. A number of civil servants there where the factories will be in Germany. Are we together?
All right. What must happen if private sector have to take advantage of this? A lot, and I'll just touch on a few. First, the government's 10-point industrialization agenda must be implemented to the core. And I want private sector to monitor this, not just allow honorable organizations to say we are implementing it and there are two happening, all the 10. And he's here today, you can take him on, uh, on that. Cost of power to industry must come down. We cannot buy at 15 cents per kilowatt hour when China is buying between 3 to 4 cents per kilowatt hour. Now, you may think China is far away. If you've heard about something called the Belt and Road Initiative, China developed the Djibouti to Ethiopia Railway. And you saw me mention Ethiopia as one of the countries which is most prepared. Ethiopia's railway is connecting to Kenya, to Uganda, to Tanzania. And when China, for example, finances the Ethiopia or Djibouti to Senegal Railway, they are in West Africa. Unless you come to the roots of origin, which I will touch on shortly, you will realize that you may actually find goose here, but it will not be indigenous goose. And if this workshop is about indigenous businesses rising, then you ought to be looking at that. So China is not far away. It's already implementing your railway system from Djibouti coming through. And the factories which are ready to supply have already been built in Ethiopia, and a few are continuing to be built. All right, so cost to power must come down. Cost of capital, Michael talked about it adequately in the morning. The value chain strategy to ensure that Ghanaian SMEs and small enterprises are able to supply to the big ones. We need a massive strategy. It's part of the 10-point agenda, but I've not seen it working in full flight. So I'm hoping that more will be done to ensure that that happens. And improve the supply chain constraints. A lot of nice people have stood here, uh, 1,500, I'm impressed. But I've been at all the CTFM Made in Ghana staff that they have. I organized one with them in January. And by the way, Bernard, we are organizing a Made in Africa in January at the next Crystal War. Now, <clears throat> you will be surprised. I went to, the first time I bought a petition in my life was recently. I saw that petition at one of the exhibitions. I have not drank it yet. But I hope to take it just to patronize Ghana goods. Then I went to the Export Promotion Authority. They do this Tuesday exhibition. I mean, that petition is one of the most well-branded bottles I have seen of any drink. Just like vodka or just uh, like Absolute. Now, ask them to supply one million bottles. And they can't. If they are here, if they can supply one million bottles, they should wave. So the supply chain challenges is, is that you go to these exhibitions, the goods are there, manufactured to the highest standard, but the ones they brought to the exhibition is all that they have. How do you supply to 1.3 billion people? So the supply chain problems are massive because we are not giving them the money to be able to produce, or at times they get the money and instead of reinvesting the money in the business, they buy land like Mr. Tinkis said, or they collect more than they need. These are cultural issues we need to face. Private sector has a problem. Now, one of the challenges we have in this country, as I said, is that we take advantage or we take a lead and we lose it. For those of you who love football, we used to talk years ago about Ghana being four times African football champions. Are we still there four times? Well, we still have our four, but Egypt has seven. Everybody has overtaken us. The only thing we have left is first countries out of the Sahara to be independent. That's the only thing left. When I was young, when we go to school, we were taught that Ghana is the world's largest cocoa producer. 
I don't know how many of us were taught that. You were definitely taught that. By 19, mid-1985, you were second. If you don't take care, you will go to third. You want me to go on? I can tell you things that Ghana have led that we've never been able to sustain. Free zones. In the early 90s, I remember President J.J. Rollins coming with a company called Business Focus. It was all over. We had done free zones. Ghana was taking the lead in free zones. This was 1994. 2004, 2014, that's about 25 years now. Ethiopia in Addis Ababa alone has got more free zones than we have. We took the lead, we lost it. Even the free zones, people left the enclave. I know somebody who had 600 workers manufacturing shares being sold to Van Huizen and TM Louis. He closed it down because they couldn't supply water at the place. We never hold on to any advantage. So don't get bamboozled by the secretariat being here. Holding on to the advantage is what is key. And don't be overjoyed that today you are producing school uniform. Can we hold on to it and increase it? That's very important. It's very, because we have, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to call it a, a culture or a case. I, we don't have time. I can give you a hundred things that Ghana led that we have lost. It's, look around you, you know it yourself. It is something somebody needs to deal with. Now, you take free zones. Just last year alone, Zambia attracted almost $200 million of business in their free zones, which was new, just because they dropped VAT in the free zone enclave. If you were there, you didn't pay VAT, and they deferred corporate tax. Just two moves, and all the business moves. That is how Ghana became the second most attractive destination for setups and let Zambia overtake us. We never hold on to anything that we have. Competitive advantage, cocoa, aluminium. We used to have Valco. We used to have 3,000 workers at one. Now it's trying, the government is trying to revive it. Even our location, and those of you who know me, I talk about it all the time. Ghana is at the center of the world. If you haven't heard me talk about that, Google it. You will know it. We are the only country which is sitting at the intersection between the Greenwich Meridian and the equator. We are five degrees above the equator, exactly at the Greenwich Meridian. Meridian. The last country the Greenwich Meridian enters before it goes all the way to the Antarctica. We are the very center of the world. We are equidistant from every country in the rest of the world. If you can't take advantage of this, what else can you take advantage of? And I have talked about this over and over and over and over, that goods made in Ghana should be branded, made at the center of the world. I've talked about this. I've written papers to the Ministry of Tourism in the past and all the rest. Yet we go about calling ourselves a gateway. And I tell people that if God puts you at the center and you call yourself a gateway, there is something wrong with your psyche. <laughs> Who is interested at the gate? And what happens at the gate? And I'm telling you that we borrowed about $200 million from the World Bank and implemented Gateway Secretariat activity for about 10 years in this country. Something is wrong with us. And I blame the private sector. Yes, unfortunately. The other thing is that we are not taking enough interest in the CFTA and in things which are happening outside Ghana. Ghanaian businesses don't. I was in Miami. There were businessmen from Ethiopia there, Morocco, Tanzania. Actually, when I delivered the presentation on the private sector agenda, the private sector framework, the Moroccans came to accost me for not mentioning Morocco in my presentation. And I said, I mentioned four countries as examples. They say, yes, the examples should include Morocco. 
apart from public officials, there was not a single Ghanaian there. Not one. Very sad. Those of us there were three, four NGOs there on our own tickets trying to. And I'm like, seriously? And I called one big businessman and I said, but why were you not in Niamey? He said, you were not invited. I said, who was supposed to invite you? Nobody invited me to. We don't take enough interest in what is happening outside the continent and in CFTA. But it's going to affect us massively. And I've already to told you how it will affect you. And that's why I blame the private sector. So what must private sector do? Get involved in the phase two of the negotiations. Phase one is gone. And you were not there. Luckily, phase one doesn't affect you that much. It created a CFTA. IP protocols are coming. Has to be negotiated. Competitive policy protocols are going to be negotiated. And it's starting supposed to be end of this year or January. Investment protocols are going to be negotiated. E-commerce and digitization. Ministry of Trade is sending delegation to negotiate on the rules of origin. Is there PEF input in it? Has PEF seen the test? What is the Ministry of Trade going to say? Are they saying something that benefits your businesses or you are waiting until Mr. Yamiba, if he was our chief negotiator, comes to tell us that he has signed this on our behalf? We are the ones going to trade, not him. He is a public servant who will retire at the age of 60. Alam and Nana have done their part. It is private sector. If the test that is written and presented doesn't include your input, too bad. Let me talk specifically about rules of origin. You may be sitting in this room saying that, oh, okay, I'm producing this. Fine. That's good. You may be making made in Ghana watches. But if the rules of origin is written and the components of the watch is such that doesn't qualify for the rules of origin, you can't sell. Watch made from elsewhere, yes. The, the other competitor who is already more prepared, whose tests go in, will be the one selling. So don't take this for a joke. It's not theory. It affects you. We have to be involved in the payment systems. How do you get your money back? Payment systems platform has been designed by Freexim, etc. We have to leverage also the advantages we have. Aluminium, only Ghana and uh, Guinea, and to some extent Nigeria do have aluminium. So we have to, for example, be focusing a lot on downstream aluminium sector. And I mean downstream from profiles to cooking utensils, etc. These are things that we need to be, and all those other industries which are linked to it, like agro-processing, huge advantage, and again, the advantage of our location. Right. This is how the new Africa is going to look like when the CFTA finally starts trading from July next year. There will be a single air transport market. That agreement is almost done. That means that for those of you who know the airline industry, there is something called the, the freedoms of the air. There will be nothing like a freedom. It's like the, the open skies agreement. It's easy for people to travel. They will be holding Africa passports. There will be one continental market. The potential market is 3.4 trillion. There will be 1.3 billion people. We are only 30 million of the 1.3 billion people. Remember that. Whether we take advantage of this or not, depends on your involvement now as business associations, definitely as individuals, you will not have any effect as business associations and whether or not we prepare our industries now. Thank you.